You're listening to Divorce Literacy with the Divorce Lending Association, a divorce podcast where we dig deep into issues of divorce that center around the marital home, other real property, and divorce mortgage planning, helping divorcing homeowners and their divorce team make more informed decisions regarding home equity solutions during and after divorce. Well, welcome everyone. Today I have Kate Kovats, who has her own law office here in Charlotte, focusing on family law. She was previously an assistant district attorney and now has been focusing on family law for the last eight years now. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to have you. We're just going to talk a little bit more about your background and just get a little bit more detailed into your perception of the divorce planning world and your role in it. So... I guess to kick things off, maybe can you share a little bit about what made you focus on family law? Absolutely. So like you said, I started off at the Charlotte District Attorney's Office here in Mecklenburg County, and I was just in court every day and dealing with victims and defendants, so prosecuting cases. And while I really loved it and had an absolutely great time, had a lot of trial experience doing it, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to have something a little more client-facing. And one of my friends practices family law and said, I think you would enjoy it. And I'll be honest, I told myself I would never do family law. My family went through a divorce. My parents went through a divorce when I was younger. And so it was something that I said I would never do. However, now that I do it, I realize that I can help because of that exact reason, that I can hopefully warn parents and families against some of the things that I've seen, whether it be in my personal life or through my career now. A lot of people, I think, have this misconception on the different divorcing options. And most people gravitate in their mind to the litigation side where we've got to go to court and do this whole thing. I know you operate outside of that space. It's not just litigation. So can you share a little bit more about the collaborative side, amicable mediation, all the different types of divorce options for people? Absolutely. So you're right that people automatically think about going to court and litigation and a judge has to decide, but that's the worst option. Now, sometimes you have to do it. Don't get me wrong. You you have to when you can't come up with an agreement together. But when you go to court, you go in front of a judge who has, I don't know, an hour, two hours, maybe if you're lucky, a day or two to hear about your entire marriage, to hear about your children, to hear about the life you've lived, your finances, and to make a decision about everything. You don't get to ask them to reconsider. You don't get to say, oh, but what about this fact that maybe I don't think you really thought enough about? You tell this judge everything that's happened over the last two, five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you expect them to make a decision, right? And they can only do their best with what they have in the limited time they have as well. And so sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes you just don't get what you want. doesn't mean that they're wrong. But if we can go either collaborative where you have other neutrals that are working with you and everything is laid out on the table and it's transparent, oftentimes you can get the best agreement for both sides. The other option, again, mediation is always a path that we can take. So whether we're on the road to litigation or litigation is one option, you still have to go to mediation and see if you can come to terms. And if you can come to an agreement with your spouse 
odds are you're both going to be happier because there might be things that the judge just doesn't think about. You know, Easter might be really important for you and not really important for your wife. Or maybe Thanksgiving is your wife's favorite holiday and you're okay to let that one go. Well, odds are the judge is going to say you get it one year and she gets it the next. If you guys know that about each other, then maybe there are ways that she can get Thanksgiving and you can get Easter every single year. Things that the judge is not going to care about. There's just ways that we can maneuver things when everyone's working together at the same table or mediation, separate rooms, separate tables, but we're together at the same time trying to resolve issues and trying to be creative. The judge is not going to be creative. They're going to take one of their one, two, or three boxes and put your family in it because they don't have time. Or if we have mediation or you go through a collaborative divorce, you really can take the time to figure out what's going to work best for you and your family. Walk walk me through maybe just a brief overview of the differences between collaborative and mediation so people better understand the differences there. Yeah. So collaborative law is a special type. So that means that we are both going into this, both spouses are going into this saying, I'm going to put all my cards on the table. I'm not hiding anything back and let's figure this out. And when you do collaborative law, not only does each party still have a lawyer, but then you have other financial and just other neutrals involved. So if you have children, you might have a parenting coach, you have a financial neutral, you have a divorce coach. So you have all these different people and there are plenty of neutrals that you can get involved that help you guys figure out how to make this work. So a parenting coach, for example, is going to say, what do we really need to do? What are your strengths? What are your strengths? How does that work in a co-parenting plan, right? Same with a lender. You know, you might be able to sit down with the divorce lending professional and say, how do I buy a house? And how do you also buy a house? What do we need our agreement to say? What do we need financially, cash-wise, to be able to put money down? Who has the better credit score? All of that kind of stuff that everyone's looking out for each other, but also still looking out for themselves and trying to find out how you make it work as best as possible. If you aren't able to come to an agreement and you end up going to court with collaborative law, you have to hire new lawyers because the goal is to give you that intent to settle the case and to be transparent. Now with mediation, it doesn't work like that. With mediation, Most often you sit in totally separate rooms from each other and you each have your lawyer. And then you have that neutral third party who's the mediator go between the rooms and try to help you figure out a resolution. So you don't necessarily have all these financial neutrals or other neutrals working with you. Your wife might have an accountant, a forensic accountant who works on her behalf. You might have one on your behalf as well. But they're not trying to help you both figure out the best for everyone. They're trying to help you figure out what's best for you. And so while we still are very successful with mediations more often than not, because we have to find that common ground, there's still a best interest component that's much stronger, I would say, than in collaborative law. And then litigation, again, that is going to court. And so... And you can try mediation while you're on that litigation pass. 
But litigation ultimately ends with either mediation resolving the case, some sort of resolution, or having a trial and that judge giving you an order and a ruling. On the the mediation side, they can still have certified divorce financial analysts involved to do the financial separation. You can still have divorce coaches involved. You can still have people like me, certified divorce lending professionals. It's not presented in such a way that it's all there for you. We're collaborative. A lot of times there's just groups involved that have all these parties already built in. It's kind of a one-stop shop as opposed to mediation where you have to rely on either you finding your own outlets for those things or trusting either your attorney or financial advisor for names or recommendations of coaches and lending professionals. Correct? Right. I would say in the collaborative world, There's usually one financial person that's helping, one CDFA is helping both parties, where mediation is still more adversarial. Maybe that's the better way to think of it, where mediation and litigation are adversarial. You're on opposite sides. Collaborative is everyone's at one table trying to figure it out. So you don't have two CDFAs. You have one CDFA. You have one CDLP who's trying to help both of you. Right. In mediation, you have your own CDFA and lawyer and CDLP in your room. And then the other side has that on their end, if that's what they want. Do you have any recommendations in terms of the sequencing of what part of the divorce team should people go to first? Obviously, the attorney is a big one. That's a major component. It's the biggest component that most everybody knows about. But in terms of other things, is there anybody else that should get involved before the attorney in your mind? A therapist. (laughs) I think first and foremost, if you're not seeing a therapist, you should be seeing a therapist. Whether it is to make the decision to actually separate and have a divorce, right? Just feel better about that decision and maybe feel like you've really thought it through because it is a big decision. You, You know, you've worked for this, whether it be two years or 40 years, you've worked for this relationship. See if it's something that you can really fight for if it's done. So number one, a therapist. Number two, a lawyer. And number three, I think is going to be your financial professionals. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, you need everybody in that team to get involved. There's just too many moving parts to try to do everything in one. And it's just, it's not efficient at all. So. Right. And if we can take care of the emotions first, then everything else, I think slowly starts to line up. Right. That answers the big question of kind of that misconception piece that a lot of people just think that I only need an attorney and then they'll handle everything. And if there's other parts, like you need an attorney, that's an important piece. You don't want to try to do this without any sort of legal representation, but it's definitely having other people as part of the process just to make sure that you're getting specialized advice on certain things like the finance side of things. Absolutely. Lawyers are only trained in so much. And so while we have the legal side down, somebody's got to be helping you with the emotions. You don't want to be calling your lawyer to talk to your lawyer every day for an hour and crying. It happens. I'm not saying don't call me. Right. (laughs) But you got to be able to make sure you're taking care of that with a professional who knows how to do that, who's trained to do that. Similar with finances. We see finances day in and day out, but I'm not a tax professional. I'm not a lending professional. I can't help you refinance. I don't know what the interest rates are. And similar with just in general with the CDFA, I can help you put together 
a budget, but I don't know how that actually is going to work for you. I don't have projections on what your finances are going to look like in the future. And so having somebody to actually walk you through all those things is really helpful. Perfect. Well, now you've already hit on some of these things, but outside of the things that we've already discussed, was there any other advice that you would give for somebody either starting down that path or at least considering the divorce path at this point? I think my number one is the therapist. It sounds so silly, but I can't tell you how often I have to ask a client, are you seeing a therapist? Even if you think you're okay and you're handling it just fine, having a therapist in your back pocket to me is just huge. You've got to take care of yourself, whether you have children or you're trying to make the relationship work or you're not. To have a therapist help you is just huge. And I think that is number one, in my opinion, to also help you go down this path. And then you have a lawyer, you find the right lawyer who fits with your personality. There might be some people who really love me and other people who might hate me. You know, you got to interview a lawyer and figure out if your personalities mesh. Thinking back, you've been doing this for a long time. Do you have any sort of memorable cases that you've worked on that kind of had that big impact on you? There are so many cases that come to mind that I think about, but I think one that really sticks it has to do with child custody and child support. And the idea that there's a family that I'm thinking about that I was looking at the the date to make sure I'm right about this. They have been fighting for over eight years. Wow. The amount of money that they have spent on lawyer fees is astronomical. And so that's something that I think is really impactful. And these two just struggle to get along still to this day, eight years later. And that is horrible, not only for them, again, their mental health and the stress that they're going through, not only for their bank accounts and the college tuition they could have paid for 10 times over, but for their children not to be able to have both parents at birthday parties or the idea that they might graduate high school and their both parents can't be there or they're going to be on opposite sides of the stadium or the arena when they walk across the stage, that's sad. And so I think really trying to bring things into focus and focus on your children and the five years from now and the 10 years from now, that's what I really try to get clients to focus on because that's what matters. That's what's impactful. Not the extra $10 or $10,000 that you get from a case. It's what's my life going to be like in five years? Am I even going to care about the couch that we fought tooth and nail about, or whether I exchange the kids on the 26th or the 27th of December. You know, it's the bigger picture to me is really important and something that I think a lot of clients just lose sight over. Was a therapist involved in that situation? No. And I don't think either party sees a therapist. So that would be great. We'll go back to that advice. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't follow in that footsteps, that's for sure. So right. <laughs> well, before we kind of finish up, any final thoughts? Anything else you wanted to kind of touch on the divorce side? Any other advice that you would give? Well, it's a little late for some people, but I think a premarital agreement or a prenup is just such a great idea. 
And I always tell people this, it is actually probably against my financial best interest to advise people to sign a prenup because I make all my money from going to court and for people fighting over $10,000 or tiny percentage points, or maybe it's the washer and dryer, the couch, but it's not worth it right? I want my clients to be able to move on to their new normal as soon as possible. And if you've got a prenup that lays out what's your property, what's your spouse's property, what's marital property, it can be as simple to say that from the day you get married to the day you separate, 50 cents of every dollar is yours, right? 50% is yours. That's how we split it. Now, everyone thinks that's what we do in family law, but people fight over 52 to 48% of the marital estate. And that can be a lot of money or it can be a little bit of money. But right. if you just had a premarital agreement from the beginning to say 50-50, it would save you so much of a headache. And while I think so many people say, but then we're planning for the divorce and I love my spouse. It's just to make sure that while everyone is really happy, that you're having those conversations and that you're talking about it and that you're being open about these things and just preparing for the worst just in case. Right. It, yeah. It's like life insurance or setting up a will. It's I, never absolutely. a good conversation to have. It's not like you're hoping that that's going to be the end result, but you want to cover all your bases and just plan logically at that point and just have it all in writing. So now... Exactly. Going off topic a little bit from the divorce side, I remember where you were kind of similar advice for people that were not married yet, kind of cohabitation situations, because that's obviously frequent as well. Can you speak to that a little bit in terms of a cohabitation agreement for when you're buying a house, but not married, like the different pitfalls that you can avoid that way as well? Absolutely. So that's something we're seeing more and more because a lot of couples are getting married later in life. And so at that point, they might have already bought a home together, even though they were only dating and not married. Or maybe you have people that were previously married and divorced and they're never going to get married again. We hear that over and over again, but they're still in relationships and they want to buy a house together because the buying power, as you know, is better with two than it is with one. Right. And so- you have to protect yourself just in case. So a couple things to think about. What happens not only if you break up, but what happens if somebody dies? So if you and your significant other who, you know, you're not getting married or you aren't married yet, if you guys buy a house together, the law looks at it very different than if you are married. You don't have some of those rights. And so if you help put that down payment down, but it's all in his name, you have zero right to that house. You're going to spend a lot of money to try and fight for that down payment back. And you might not get it. Now, if you can put it into an agreement, things like if we break up, who gets the house? Or do we sell it? If someone's going to get it, how do you buy the other person out? What's that calculation going to look like? Do we get an appraisal done in the first 30 days, 90 days? The last thing you want to do is be trying to figure that out when you hate each other's guts because you're breaking right. up for a reason, right? Or are you being roommates for a year because neither one of you agrees to move out, right? No one wants that. And like I was saying before, what if somebody dies? So if your significant other dies, do you get the whole house? What about their children if they have children? What about their mom? What about their estate? Same with yours, right? 
Maybe this isn't a house that you actually live in full time, but it's a vacation home. Are you going to share that vacation home with his mom or with her dad? I don't know. That's up to you. Maybe you guys have such a great relationship that that sounds like a dream to you. You can just write that in. That's okay. But having that expectation of how that's going to go and not assuming, I think that's where people get in trouble is you assume, well, if we break up, we're just both going to sell it and we'll split it 50-50. Well, that might be what you think, but in two years, five years, 10 years, now maybe that person wants to stay in the house. Maybe you put down 75% of the mortgage payments and the down payment, and you want that 75% back, but you guys are 50-50 owners according to that deed. Right. Little things like that, that you just want to make sure you have it in writing, signed and notarized just to be safe. Again, talk to a lawyer. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it also makes you have that conversation with your significant other, whether it be a prenup or it'd be that cohabitation agreement. Having that conversation, in my opinion, is just so important. I mean, it opens your lines of communication. It makes you talk about finances that you might not ever talk about otherwise. Right. No, I mean, there's still that stigma where people just don't communicate through the financial piece of it. And I see it all the time where it's like, all right, well, now we bought this house together and then we want to split up, but one of us wants to keep the house. It's the same kind of conversation as like the divorce planning, but you just don't have the legal framework in place or that you can put in place nearly as well as the divorce side. So I was curious. I just want to get your take on that as well. But but no, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time, Kate. If anybody wanted to reach out to you or learn more about your services, what's the best way to, to find you? I'd say the best way is to find me online. So my website is covatslaw.com, nice and easy. And on there, you've got my phone number, my address, my email is kate at covatslaw.com. So you're welcome to reach out to me directly as well. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, Kate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Divorce Literacy. Discover more strategies and solutions on divorce mortgage planning at divorcelendingassociation.com.